Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and you're in for a treat today because I have with me Justin Beals. Justin has a really interesting background, a serial entrepreneur, and more importantly, he's going to talk to us about an area of compliance you need to learn about. So, Justin, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. I'm excited to have the time to chat, Tom. Thanks for having us on the podcast. So, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. I got interested in technology at a very young age. I actually didn't attend college for computer science. I graduated with a liberal arts degree. But right after school, I went back to my technology roots and started as a cybersecurity engineer at British Telecom. Enjoyed working in the global network operations. And over the years, I've been really interested in using technology to start innovative companies. I spent about 15 years in the education technology innovation space, which went through massive shifts with the No Child Left Behind Act and some of the changes in that market. Recently, at one of my startups, we were building some AI platforms, which required the sharing of private and sensitive information. And it was the first time I had ever been asked to provide a SOC 2 certificate or audit or an ISO 27001 certificate or audit. And these cybersecurity standards are a new compliance regime that technologies are being asked to meet. And for us to effectively deliver our product, we needed to create this trust with these particular standards. I got really interested in them uh, about a year and a half ago, joined an incubator in the Seattle, Washington area to think about some innovative solutions for helping companies meet these standards. And we launched StrikeGraph a year ago and have been helping customers ever since uh, get through their cybersecurity audits. Justin, one of the things that I find really innovative about the space you're in is it is much more heavily regulated than the area of many of the compliance practitioners who are listeners to this podcast. So they are in the anti-bribery, anti-corruption space. And although we have guidance, the real regulators are the Department of Justice and they don't regulate, they give some uh, evaluative guidelines. But in your area, you actually have sets of standards and they're much more rigorous that you have to comply with. And so I was wondering if you could start with maybe explaining what is SOC 2 and what's a SOC 2 audit? Sure, I'd be happy to. So much of this started with Sarbanes-Oxley and SOX and audits of publicly traded companies. And one of the big blind spots is the vendor management, to be honest with you. And over 70% of major breaches come from a third-party vendor. So these organizations needed to provide reasonable assurance that them and their vendors were implementing effective cybersecurity practices. For that, the AICPA designed a standard called SOC 2, which is a cybersecurity standard, and that specifically focuses on the security in a lot of ways of information and the resiliency of the business. So it spans the organization in some ways, and I think that's important to note. Half of the analysis sometimes can be your HR practices, your code of conduct, and also other compliance liability issues like GDPR or complying with those. And the other half are very technical. How does new code get put on servers? How is data encrypted? And so it is a mix of both of those. 
And the achievement of something like a SOC 2 represents two things. One is an organizational maturity, and the second is an assessment of that maturity by an independent party. Wow. Said a lot in there. So let me see if I can unpack a little of that, because that is so relevant to the listeners of this podcast. Let me start with the GDP R concepts, because obviously we do not have one national standard in the United States. Can a company go through a SOC 2 audit and meet the standards of GDPR? Do they need to do something else, even if they're a U.S. domestic company? They will generally meet the standard of GDPR if they pass a SOC 2 audit. And that's one thing to know about all of these standards, and there are many of them. SOC 2 is just one, although it is the most prevalent one and the most widely accepted. So, so you can have confidence in that particular credential. They're 80 to 90% the same, almost all of them. They're big Venn diagrams, and everything from the Department of Defense's NIST standards that they look at, which are incredibly prescriptive and specific, there is shared coverage between that and SOC 2. You mentioned vendor management, and in the data protection world, we saw breaches as far back as Target with their HVAC vendor all the way through to Solar Winds, which occurred late last year, or at least was announced late last year to the public, although it occurred much earlier. And even in my world, vendor management is, is key. So how can a company really satisfy itself that the vendors it employs and perhaps have access to some parts of their internal system really can meet these sorts of requirements? Well, I think that's the great thing about a standard, Tom. As a community, we can focus on a shared understanding of the requirements for these vendors and what they do. That's not going to catch every problem in the world, but specifically to the solar winds issue, a fair bit of many of these cybersecurity standards, and SOC 2 specifically, is a technical practice called change management. And it covers the governance of code development and distribution. And if you think about the solar winds issue, where essentially hackers or something nefarious was injected into the code base, a good change management process that's tested so that it's being operating effectively should ameliorate much of the opportunity for that to happen. You're the only person who's ever used the word ameliorate in a podcast, and I know that because it's one of my favorite words. So you get an extra gold star. Thanks, Tom. Um, <laughs> we are actually, I came across you because of an article that you posted in uh, Corporate Compliance Insights or CCI, and it was around tips for hiring a SOC 2 auditor and the importance. I was wondering if you could maybe walk us through that. Sure, I'd be happy to. So as we said, the SOC 2 certificate or audit is performed, it must be performed according to the AICPA by an independent certified public accountant or a CPA firm. And that's how we get the independence and the practice of reasonable assurance, which happens both in financial audits, of course, and now in the cybersecurity audit practice. The selection of the right auditor is important strategically because you're going to want to work with them for a while, multi-year generally. You want to go back to the same auditor. It's more efficient. They know your practice and can measure it well. There are different types of auditors. Some are very low cost and meant to be super efficient, but the brand, and that's essentially the logo and the assurance that comes from that logo, may be less valuable in the overall trust marketplace. Whereas if you pick one of the big four, like a KPMG or a BDO, 
those brands can carry more weight. And I think, Tom, what's important here, what we're knocking on the door of is many times the desire to achieve one of these audits is revenue driven. It is the communication of maturity and trust to your buyers. Now, we certainly have lawyers, especially general counsel at our larger customers that are managing these efforts since they fall under the umbrella of compliance. But the driver here for the organization to do it is to either box out competition or to compete more effectively for trust and contracts. So I'm a big advocate that compliance is a true market differentiator, rather. And you've talked about boxing out competitors. Could you expand on that a little bit? Sure. You can imagine going up for an RFP, especially a big one uh, that you would really like to win. And if you have successfully passed a SOC 2 audit and anyone else on the RFP hasn't, that's a method of setting yourself aside as being more trusted. And oftentimes, and I've talked to salespeople where, especially institutional buyers or enterprise buyers, they will pick the more trusted solution, even though it may have less features. The message you are articulating, I think, resonates certainly with when you sit down with a CISO, perhaps with the general counsel, who's a lawyer or obviously a lawyer, but a chief compliance officer. But let me turn to two phrases you've used or two words, trust and maturity. That's generally something that a board of directors will concern themselves with. Is the message that you are able to give around trust and maturity or Does that resonate with the board or do they listen to someone like yourself? They certainly do because the board understands that it could make the difference of winning the next big enterprise deal. And so it also resonates for the CEO when we talk about this because they're very interested in essentially eliminating friction in the sales process. And if you're a trusted vendor with an actual audit and an audit, you can reduce the time to close for a large enterprise deal by six to nine months. Wow. This is just music to my ears. And I will tell you why. It's because when I ask you that question, I expect you to say it protects our brand reputation, but you didn't even say that. You talked about (laughs) actually generating greater ROI and profitability through trust and maturity. That is a message that every board needs to hear. Oh, I think so. And that's why I was so interested in this problem, Tom, as an entrepreneur that's had to build companies and a technologist that's had to deliver product. This was a massive problem for our business's growth and our ability to essentially get that trust efficiently, quickly, by having an independent certification of our practices was a big help. And let's be honest, it did mature our company. And certainly at StrikeGraph, we are wrapping up our own audit right now. And it has provided opportunity for us to implement some better practices. And we like that as an organization. And we want to monetize it by sharing it with our customers. That really leads to an area I wanted to explore with you, which is your company. And uh, start off with, why did you co-found this uh, StrikeGraph? Yeah, I love starting new ventures. It's a really enjoyable habit for me. So in a way, I'm a little selfish. I enjoy a new concept. I love bringing it to life. I love collaborating with a really smart team around it. But what I also am on a mission to do is allow companies of all sizes or complexities. Sometimes the bigger you are, the harder this is to implement because of the complexity already in your organization. They should be able to achieve these standards and feel confident in the work they do. As a CTO, me trying to help even internally 
our teams trust the work that we're doing and that we're being safe and secure with information, I'd rather point to a standard and say we're living by it. And this is how we begin to get better and refine from the standard. So I'm passionate about it. Yeah. I'm very interested. Uh, I love the passion you have around it. But I wanted to ask a more focused question, which was how does StrikeGraph help eliminate the confusion related to a cybersecurity audit as opposed to a certification standard? Sure. The way that we help eliminate the confusion is essentially by matching the journey that almost every organization is going to go on as they start to roll this out with the right solution at the right time. And I'll give you an example. Any size organization, when they're first enacting this journey, the recommendation is to start with a risk analysis. But so many are focused on getting to the audit first that they skip that particular step. We embedded that in our technology and for our customers because it is a scoping exercise. So one thing that's important to understand is while we talk about a standard, the scope of your cybersecurity practice is malleable to the standard, depending on the risks that that organization is confronted with. So you come into StrikeGraph, a customer will answer about 65 questions about the current risk environment. And for each risk, we have recommended control activity, cybersecurity control activity that they can enact. For StrikeGraph, we picked the ones we're already doing. And within just a couple of hours, we had stood up the cybersecurity practice that we needed to roll out to our organization more broadly. It's also scoped to our type of product, our type of solution, and our type of risk matrix. And that makes for a more efficient, effective cybersecurity practice before you go for audit. So it's in those ways that we try and cut through the jargon the, the depth of the standard, things that you don't need to understand to operate your business and help our CEOs, our CTOs, those general counsels really analyze the risk and meet it with a good cybersecurity practice. We always measure against the standard at the end of the day. So what, what are possible gaps? And a lot of times we can talk to the auditor and we advocate for our customers with the auditor on issues that they have with the standard, i.e. here is a part of the standard that's not applicable to this particular customer for this reason. In the greater corporate world, there's a large amount of discussion about GRC and ESG. And I was really intrigued in doing a little research for this podcast that StrikeGraph has a GRC platform. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And to be fair, we are a newer GRC platform, but it was important to me to build a system that could be finally to the customer need. And this is just StrikeGraph. We're very customer-focused in what we do. And so our particular system isn't a checklist. It is essentially a preceded set of data for a common governance risk and compliance practice. So you can add new risks to the system. You can use the risks that we provide. You can develop your own controls, or you can use the controls that we provide. Or we can bring the controls you're already using into the platform and need a better management solution around into the platform. And then we also break out the evidence requirements as a separate part of the data model so that you can work on evidence collection activities in preparation for an audit or a certification in a many-to-many type relationship with the controls that need that evidence. So we store all the core components of a GRC platform along with the standard and the ability to map to the standard. I would say we're probably more lightweight than some of the folks that have been in the GRC marketplace for longer term, 
but there's an efficiency in using a system like that. We were recording this podcast in late March, so we're a little over a year into the coronavirus and COVID-19 pandemic. And I was wondering, as your or StrikeGraph's approach changed in the last year, are you able to deliver the same quality services in the environment we're in now? Well, we are a pandemic-born company in some ways, Tom. We like to tell a funny story that myself and my co-founder got a 30-minute in-person meeting before everything was kind of shut down. And then we've also been in person for our headshots (laughs) along the way. So our team is remote and we've had to modify our compliance practices to meet that remote issue that we're dealing with. We're helping our customers with that as well. We have seen a real uptick in the interest in what we offer and the success of our customers. I think with the pandemic, certifications or audits like this can be an even more critical tool in getting that trust as you're in a sales motion with a possible customer. So we've grown quite rapidly over the year and have kind of exceeded our expectations for adoption and and are very excited about that. I talk to a lot of people that are in the defense industry space, uh, vendors to the DOD or other U.S. agencies, and for some period of time, they have talked about the national security implications in vendor risk management. And I think, I hope, SolarWinds was a, really a wake-up call for corporate America and U.S. public companies that may not be doing business directly with the government. Has that message resonated with your client base, or am I just off base? No, it, it really has. And where it comes into play is the bellwether organizations like a Microsoft who use SolarWinds as a partner in their systems and their desire now to push harder on their vendors for meeting important standards. We're going to see a growth in this space. I think the industry in a good way is attempting to regulate itself. And now that we have standards that are acceptable, I think that government could possibly follow And I think that companies preparing early for these requests is the best possible thing they can do. Where do you see this space in 2025 or or even beyond in the corporate world? I think it's only going to become more commonplace to expect any vendor that is sharing private or sensitive information to achieve one of these audits or certifications. Uh, SOC 2 is a great one, and a lot of people are moving to that. So we're we're just going to see a general increase. I think technologically, there's a lot of innovation opportunity with AI technologies and more robust chain of custody of the evidence that we collect. So it's even further trusted and more transparent about the implementation of cybersecurity controls. Justin, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on you or StrikeGraph, where could they go? Sure. Our website is strikegraph.com, and right on the website, there's an opportunity to contact us. We're also StrikeGraph on LinkedIn, and we post all our webinars and outreach uh, there as well. And I'm going to encourage listeners to check out the site because they have a wealth of free materials uh, that are available. So. I hope they will check it out. Justin, I wanted to thank you again. This has been a great interview and I frankly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. I had a lot of fun and we would love to chat again, of course. 
If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.